0: You may be seated. Let me lead us in prayer before we engage the word. Would you just take a moment right there in your seat? And would you ask God to help you hear his word today? Would you ask him to search your heart and know you and show it to you? Would you ask him to show you himself? you ask him to help me teach by the power of the spirit. He- Heavenly Father, we God, we ask all of these things to you because you alone are strong enough to search our hearts. You alone have wisdom to do that. You alone can move our hearts and change our hearts and awaken us. God, you're the one that we want to encounter and we want to see you. So we ask that you would show yourself to us, that we would leave here knowing ourselves better and knowing you better and loving you more as a result. God, we come to you because you're the only one that can help me teach by the power of the spirit. I don't want to do this on my own. God, I want to do this in demonstration of you and your power that we walk out of here saying, Jesus is strong. Jesus is great and no one else god I'm praying we're praying that you would do that in our midst and God we're praying all of that believing not just believing that you're strong enough but believing that you will do that in our hearts God we trust you and we look forward to encountering you today in your word and I pray that all in Jesus name amen all right everyone well we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 2 and I, I I want to let you know two things real quick before I jump any further into this. Uh, The first thing is this. um, Our VBS is this week. We're partnering with several churches in Tallahassee. um, And we're doing an online VBS. So if you have kids, you want to be a part of that. It's June. Well, I say it's June 15th. It's this Monday to Friday. If you haven't registered, it's not too late. It's vbstlh.com. Uh, com or something like that. It's, it's up on the slide. They put it on the slide because they can't trust me to remember the web page. Okay, I got to be honest. I'm spitting out web pages to everyone left and right. Uh, it's on the slide. So VBS TLH for Tallahassee.com. You can go there and, and register if you want to do that with your kids. And you can do one or two or three or all five days. That's going to be up to you. Um, and before I also get into our sermon uh, today, I, I want to let you, I want to talk about kind of what's going on um, right now in our country, just for a brief moment. Uh, and the verse that I want to frame that in is James chapter 1, verse 19. James 1:19, James says this: Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let me just read that again. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow to anger. There's a lot going on right now in our country. There's a whole lot of talking, a whole lot of yelling, a whole lot of screaming, a whole lot of arguing um, on all sides. And I think for us as a church that one of the things we need to know is we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The next verse that I didn't put up there says for the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Church, I believe that one of these days we're supposed to wade into this difficult and tricky conversation, but you haven't heard a lot from me right now um, because I think there's a lot that I need to hear and dissect and sort through. Um, and, and I wanna give you a few steps that I want you to think through. Um, here's the, the few steps I want you to think through. The first step is this, just what that verse says that we need to humbly and prayerfully be listening right now, okay? Like, uh, I'm not going to give a bunch of caveats. Who do you listen to? Who do you not listen to? I'm just going to give the caveats, humbly and prayerfully listening, because God is strong enough to help us hear what we need to hear. Uh, The other thing is, I want you to know what I'm doing as your pastor to try to listen. Um, Right now, I'm preparing a series. I don't know if it'll be ready starting next Sunday or not. That depends on how much work I get done this week on it. But I'm preparing a series that I'm going to look through what the Bible says about God and justice. Let me just tell you what I've got so far. Uh, As I searched the scriptures, um, I did a search of the Bible for words like justice, injustice, oppression, uh, strangers, uh, this whole thing. I have 68 pages, single-spaced, of Bible verses uh, printed up. I went through all of those verses and eliminated the ones that I did not think actually spoke to the situation, and I narrowed it down to 62 pages of Bible verses. Um, that's a whole lot of sermons. That's like over a year's worth if I do one per verse. It's, it's jam. The Bible is jam-packed with this theme from Genesis to Revelation. And so I'm taking time to actually, I'm asking this question, what does God say about this? So I want you to be listening humbly and prayerfully, and I want us to be asking the question, what does God say? Not what do I say, not what do I think, not what does the news think, not even what does our culture think. We want to know what God thinks. Uh, The second thing is I do think there's some things that I'm I don't know how educated, how much we've educated ourselves. So here's one of the things that I would encourage you to do. Um, Several years ago, this topic became a conversation in my family as we were wrestling through some things at the last church that I was at. And one of the things that I realized is I was deeply uninformed about the history of the African-Americans. And so... Uh, instead of asking someone, I decided it was time for me to go and educate myself on that. And so I started trying to read up on it and figure it out. I I found one resource that I'm going to cautiously suggest to you. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free on Amazon Prime. It's also, if you have, um, babe, who's our internet? Xfinity, sorry. If you have Xfinity, it's free on demand. It's a PBS series. Um, on the history of the African-Americans. I actually have a DVD copy right here. It's the African-Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. It's a six-hour documentary, six one-hour sessions documentary on the history of the African-Americans. If you are not familiar with that history, it would probably be helpful to start there as a place to educate yourself to kind of understand some of the context of what's happening. All right? Now, some of you right now are really uncomfortable. Um, And let me tell you why you're uncomfortable. Because this conversation has been contaminated by an aggressive rhetoric. And I can't simply say we're going to look at what the Bible says about God and justice. And I can't say we should educate ourselves about the history of the African Americans without 300 caveats that I'm supposed to give to make you think, I'm not saying this and I'm not saying this. Um, And I, I will say one thing for us God cares deeply about justice. And if you want me to speak boldly about abortion and the sanctity of human life, then you should also want me to speak boldly about all topics of justice and injustice in our society. We do not get to pick and choose. He does, and we will follow him in that with wisdom and grace and patience. All right? So uh, that's my mini-sermon announcement for uh, what I'm trying to study. And listen, I'm asking you to pray for me to sort through the chaos, to sort through my own personal things and let's actually get to a place of what does God say. I, I need you to pray for me to have insight into the word on that, okay? So I'm asking you, I need you to partner with me in this. I don't need you to sit and listen. I need you to partner and go to God and beg him to give me the wisdom And the ability to understand the word and to proclaim it rightly. Because I do not want to teach you what God doesn't say. All right? Um, But but I do want to teach us what God says. I want to hear what he has to say. And I want all of us to hear it from his word. Does that sound good? Will you all partner with me in that? All right. All right. The four of you who will pray with me, I'm grateful for that. Uh, You're allowed to nod your heads. You're allowed to not nod your head. I just like to tease you for it is what's going on with me. Uh, Let me jump into our sermon before I preach another mini sermon about whatever I'm going to go off on. Uh, Let me remind you where we've been in the book of Philippians. Um, Paul is a crazy man. Okay, let me just, I'm going to say it that way. I mean, this dude, he's just simply ridiculous. And, and the stuff he wrote, it's so weighty and deep. Uh, like, it's, it's just the things that he did, it's just radical and amazing, right? Like, if you've looked at the life of Paul, the dude just, he blazes a trail, right? I mean, this guy goes from city to city to city. He causes riots, gets thrown out of town, gets beat, gets gets uh, thrown into prison, gets shipwrecked, and the dude the whole time was like, I'm getting up and doing it again. Like, it doesn't matter how many times you knock this guy down, he just keeps going. And and one of the crazy things about Paul that we see in the book of Acts and we see in all the New Testament books is in the midst of all that suffering, in the midst of all that hardship, that dude's still rejoicing, right? Like, somehow Paul is like... (laughs) You don't even know how to take it. Like, he's still rejoicing. Let me read you an example. Acts chapter 16, all right? That's, that's where the church in Philippi got started. We went over this like 26 weeks ago whenever I started Philippians, all right? The way it starts is Acts shows up to, Phil, or Paul shows up to Philippi. He starts preaching the gospel to them, and he gets arrested, beaten, thrown into prison without a trial, and they say, lock that dude's feet in the stocks in the deepest part of the prison. Verse 25 of Acts chapter 16. After all this injustice has happened to Paul, once again, another city is running him out of town for proclaiming the gospel. Here's how him and Silas respond. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Right? Like, like, listen to this. So here's Paul bloody, bruised. Who knows if his ribs are cracked? We don't know. He's in prison. It's unjust. It's unfair. It's not right. And the dude is singing praises to God. Now, you may hear that and think, all right, this dude, he's obviously a lunatic. I mean, no one really does that. He was just putting on a show. But when you read the rest of the story, an earthquake happens, and which is crazy by itself, all the handcuffs and the jail cells open up, I don't know what kind of crazy earthquake that is apart from God did it. And all of these prisoners who heard, heard Paul singing, instead of hitting the door to go free, ran to Paul's prison cell to hear the message. You don't do that for a fraud sitting next door to you. It was real and authentic. And when they heard this, they just said, man, I need that. I, I, I've got to have that. And listen, I know guys, just that, that's my kid. He's He's fun in a party. He's probably crying. This is part of the joys of us gathering together. We expect kids to make noise, so he'll be good in a minute. Sorry, babe. I don't, didn't mean to embarrass you. I don't know. You're rocking it out. You're doing great because four kids with me talking is almost impossible. All right. All the moms, all, shout out to all the moms, uh, and now my ADD needs to stop. So anyways, so here's Paul. Uh, He's got these people that show up, and either Paul is just a ridiculous optimist dancing his way through life and closing his eyes to the reality that Paul, you're in prison, Paul, you're going to die, Paul, they're going to kill you, or there's something else going on. But I want you to see how gritty this guy is because he's not this, like, snowflake optimist, all right? Like, it's not like Paul gets beaten in prison. He's like, dude, life is amazing. I love prison. Give me more prison. That's like, there's a grittiness to Paul. Because look at what happens right after this. I mean, he leaves these, j- these prisoners. He leaves the jailer uh, to Jesus. They all get saved. And then verse 35 of Acts chapter 16, look at this. But when it was day, the magistrates sent to the police saying, let, let those men go. Like, listen, it was fun to beat Paul unfairly. That was great. We liked that. But let's just get him out. We think he learned his lesson. Nothing to see here. Right? And look at what Paul does, verse 36. And the jailer came, reported these words to Paul, saying, listen, the matters they've sent to let you go. Now, come on, let's go and go in peace. Like, this is great. God's letting you free. They're not going to beat you anymore. They're not going to kill you. You get to go free. Like, isn't this great news? You're not, you were singing last night at midnight. Like, this should make you go crazy singing. Oh, no, no. Paul does this, verse 37. This poor new believer, I mean, he's stuck in between Paul and the city officials. Verse 37, but Paul said to him, They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Let Let them come themselves and take us out. Did you see the grit of this dude? Like now his grit is, yeah, I'm singing when they beat me. I'm singing when they threaten me. I'm singing when they throw me in jail unjustly. But in this moment, he turns around and says, and I demand justice right? Like it's phenomenal. It's like this gritty where these dudes come shaking like, okay, hey, we didn't, okay, this could go really bad because if the government finds out what we just did to you, we're all in trouble. Like, hey man, can we just like, can we make this go away quietly? And here's Paul, like, does that sound like a snowflake optimist to you? Like this dude is, I don't know if he's crazy or just awesome. I'm leaning towards awesome, but he's, he's just gritty like this. And And one of the things that we've been looking at the last several weeks is how does Paul rejoice in the midst of suffering? And he tells us at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3 that the reason he's able to do that is he's able to rejoice in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Like the source of his happiness and joy. The content of his happiness and joy is not good times and bad times. It's not whether things are going well or not. It's whether or not, whether or not things are just and fair. The content and source of his rejoicing is in Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me read you what he said. Now we're going to run up to our passage for today. Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And he says this. He's talking about, I rejoice in the Lord. He wants to make sure they remove everything that would stop them from getting joy, like legalism, rejoicing in anything else. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about legalists here. and He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory or boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So so Paul just said, we rejoice in the Lord, and let me tell you what's going to take away your rejoicing in the Lord. Legalists, you watch out for those snakes or dogs, as he would say. Get them out of here. You don't tolerate legalism because they're not the real deal. We're the real deal because we worship by the Spirit. We boast only in Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. That's Paul's secret to rejoicing. He doesn't say have a better outlook on life. He doesn't say here's the 10 steps to happiness. He says one thing, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that makes me happy. And you go to war with anything that you would lean on to make you happy apart from Jesus. I think it's this phenomenal thing. But but let me show you how, because I want to unpack one thing here. That last phrase he said, put no confidence in the flesh. We want to unpack that for a moment because Paul's going to unpack this for the next couple verses. He's going to lay out for us what is confidence in the flesh. All right, he's going to give an example of it. And I want to explain it before we get into it. Uh, I want to explain it in this way. Uh, we all have a standard that we strive for, that we have determined that makes us good, right? Like we de- I'm getting really philosophical on you, so I need you to coffee up and, and dig in with me. Um He's got. The, we've all got this standard. We say, "Listen, here's how to be a good person, right?" And we take that standard and we evaluate ourselves and other people based on this standard of what makes someone a good person, right? Uh, and here's kind of the thing we kind of lay it out. We put confidence in our wisdom and effort to know what makes us good and to actually accomplish what makes us good. We we have these standards that that we've. We've come up with ourselves for the most part. Or that we've recognized that someone else came up and said, you know what? That's right. I like that. That's what makes someone a good person. And it's that thing that we also judge other people by. If you don't attain this, then you're, you're not a good person. I've got my standard. I'm measuring you by this standard of what a good person is. You don't hit it. Therefore, you are not good. Right. And it's the same thing. We don't give grace to those people, but for ourselves, if we miss that standard, you know, we we say things like, well, nobody's perfect. Right. Well, since we made up the standards by our wisdom and effort, then we have the authority to give ourselves a break in those moments. We would never come to the conclusion that we're not a good person. Right. Do you guys see this? You understand what I'm talking about here? Uh, it, it's these moments, uh, the example I give all the time is driving on the road. I know there's a set speed limit, but I have unwritten rules in my mind about how you're supposed to drive. If you go faster than me, you're a lunatic. If you go slower than me, you're a, you're some kind of scared person who doesn't know how to live in life. If you drive slow in the fast lane, you deserve road rage. That's what you deserve, right? Like you've got this standard. But if I decide to drive faster than normal, I give myself a break because I know that that's, that's a moment that I should be driving faster. Or if I decide to go slow because there's something else on my mind and someone's mad, i like, what's wrong with that person? Don't they know that I know the ultimate standard of good driving? Right? We, we, we do this all the time in, in much deeper things. We give ourselves the break and we measure ourselves about whether or not we are a good person based on the standard that we came up with. Based on our ability to accomplish that standard. That's what I believe that Paul means by uh, putting confidence in the flesh. You're confident that you're wise enough to come up with the list and you're powerful enough to accomplish that list. That's confidence in the flesh. Let me show you how he goes about it. Look at verse four. He says, He says, I put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You see what he's doing? He's like, listen, let me me talk about confidence. I'm not saying we put no confidence in the flesh because I'm a lousy human being. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, you may say, well, Paul, I know why you put no confidence in the flesh. You're a loser. Paul, you're broken and you're, you're, as I would say, jacked up. If you don't know what that means is, you can try to Google it. It probably won't come up. There's... Not a definition of jacked up probably on Wikipedia, but you're just broken, Paul. So of course you say put no confidence in the flesh because you're a filthy, rotten loser. That's not what Paul says. Listen, no, I'm saying no confidence in the flesh, but listen, I have a whole lot of reason to have confidence in the flesh. Like you think you got reason to think you're a good person? I will blow you out of the water. That's what Paul just says. Like, remember, I know he's happy, but he's kind of crazy too, right? He's got this grittiness. Like, just picture that. Like He says, we don't put any confidence in the flesh. And if you think you're good, I'll beat you down in goodness. I will run circles around your goodness all day long. You won't be able to keep up with me and my goodness. That's what Paul is basically saying. And then he lays out this list. He gives his resume of awesomeness is what it is. Verse 5, he says this. Let me, let me, tell, you, let, let me tell you how awesome I am. That's not quite how he's saying let me tell you my list of goodness. Right, he says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Like he just says, listen, listen, my family, I was born into a religiously elite family. I mean, they followed the law to almost perfection. Like I, I was circumcised just on time. Exactly when the law said it for me to be circumcised, it was the eighth day, not the seventh, not the ninth, the eighth day, eighth day. And they did it just right according to the Old Testament law. I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like I am like I'm pristine when it comes to this. My birthright and my heritage is completely clean. All of us, I even know what tribe I'm a part of. After all these uh, exiles that we've had, I still know that I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Like I'm, like everything about me is awesome as far as religiousness goes, right? Uh, He's not saying, I'm making it sound probably more arrogant than he ends to, but trust me, I'll turn it on him. He'll turn it on us in a second says this, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. You, you want to know how good I am at obeying the Bible? I'm a Pharisee. Like that's like the conservative religious group. I believe every word of it. You don't want to know how much Bible I've memorized. You want to talk about the law? I'm a Pharisee. I dress right. I eat right. I take baths right. Everything in my life was ordered according to the way the most conservative religious people would do it. So I've got great heritage. I've got a great family. I'm awesome when it comes to religious performance in the conservative side. Verse 6, but it wasn't just dead for me. It wasn't just routine or tradition. Verse 6, as to zeal, I had passion for this thing. Let me tell you how passionate I was about being a good religious follower of God. I persecuted the church. That's how passionate I was. It wasn't just that I was going through the traditions. I was so passionate if you didn't believe the right way according to our standard, I wanted to wipe you off the face of the planet. It's kind of passionate, right? Like th- this is this dude is super clean. He's performed almost to perfection it seems like. He's unbelievably passionate and zealous for obeying God and obeying the law, but, but he's not done. Look at this. As to righteousness under the law, this statement is insane, blameless. Listen, you, you aren't going to find anyone who says I broke the law at any point. I'm blameless. You can't accuse me with not obeying the strict rules of the law. I stuck the landing. It was a 10 in whatever judging world that is. It was all 10s. I killed it. Perfect score. I'm blameless. You won't find anyone accusing me of breaking the law. Listen, that's, that's Paul's pedigree here. Like, listen, I, I want you to understand this. Whenever you have confidence in the flesh, it creates this thing where you begin to compare to other people. And here's what happens. When someone's less than you, what happens in your heart, because you know better or because you've done better, arrogance begins to creep up. When there's confidence in the flesh, it causes you to be able to look at other people and say, you want to talk about who's better? Let me show you my list because my list is going to kill your list. That's what happens. You ever experienced that at church? Or, or maybe you were on the other end. Maybe you were not on the giving end. Maybe you were on the receiving end. That's, that's probably the one we've experienced at church too, right? Like you didn't measure up to someone else's standard and you knew it. Maybe they said something. Maybe they didn't. Uh, but there was like this circle you couldn't break into because somehow you just, you didn't know the rules. You didn't know the game. You didn't, you just didn't know something. Something was off, Right? And what's happening is when you put confidence in the flesh, even good things that you do, it will separate from other people and make you their judge. And if someone really goes above board, you just look at them like, man, you are phenomenal. Like you, you do better at religious things than me. That's that's why they're pastors, because they get Jesus way better than the rest of us. And so they're up on this pedestal way higher than every single other human being on the earth. We are able to look down because of our performance with arrogance and superiority. That's, that's what it can look like when we have confidence in the flesh. But it's also this, that confidence in the flesh, we put confidence. I mean, the list that Paul gives is crazy. It's based on birth or race or religiousness or passion or cleanliness. Like, listen, the, 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 the options for you to put confidence in are just, they're limitless, right? Paul just gave you like five things real quick of that he's able to put confidence in. And we do the same thing all the time. Right? Like, let me give you a few things. So here's the question I want you to be asking yourself. What do I put confidence in? Like, what is it that my heart gets longed to to say, yeah, I'm a, that makes me a good person? And if it gets tarnished a little, my whole world comes crashing down. What is it that you put confidence in for you to be a good person? Like, here's a few examples. Good family. Right? I'm raising a good family or a work ethic. I would know how to work hard. Or clean living, I'm sexually pure and I don't drink and chew tobacco or whatever the rest of that poem is. Um, Wisdom and insight, right? I I understand things better than most people, especially people on Facebook, which is for the record, that's not that impressive. Okay, if you know better than people on Facebook... Wow, (laughs) like that's just not that amazing. Um, Sometimes you're involved in good causes. You say, listen, I'm woke or I help the poor or I'm engaged in missions or I'm engaged in the church. You've got all these things that you say, this is what makes me a good person or I know how to be gracious. Like all those other people, they don't know how to be gracious. But when it comes to someone who's struggling, I really know how to be kind. Everyone else is kind of judgmental and arrogant. I, I know how to be gracious to people who are difficult. Therefore, I am a good person. I know how to have fun, right? Some people are just too uptight, right? I know how to relax, and they need to learn to relax a little more, like me, and have fun. Like all those people that work, work, work. work, I'll never be a workaholic. I'm a funaholic. Like I'm going to make it fun even when I work. Uh, Listen, we don't want to put our confidence in those things to make us good people. We don't put confidence in race or pedigree or upbringing or religious knowledge or political stances or our passion or our religious performances. If you put confidence in those things to make you a good person, it will steal your ability to rejoice. If you put confidence in anything besides Jesus, it will steal your ability to be able to rejoice. None of those things will make you good, and they will all let you down, and you will not be able to even live up to your own standard. You won't. Something will happen and it'll rattle your cage and you'll get defensive because you can't bear to look at your brokenness or your ability or your not goodness. You can't even tolerate it because it just rattles your cage so much for you actually to think you've got something wrong or there's something broken in you that's visible. Listen, that's not awesome. I want to give you a couple examples of what I just gave of how those things will let you down and steal your ability to rejoice. You, you want to rejoice in you having a good family? Listen, uh, it, that's almost impossible. I take my kids to the grocery store and they're going to have a meltdown at the candy aisle, right? And all of a sudden, like, listen, you just, how many of you have had a two-year-old lose their brain in the grocery store? Like they've been good all week, all month long, and for some reason, you take them into the grocery store, and the devil enters that child, right? And everyone is looking at you, saying, "What kind of parent is that?" You felt that moment, right? That, that's a that's an amen, right? That's we've mm, I got those moments, right? And here's what happens to us: the embarrassment and the shame, and we're concerned that everyone thinks we're a bad parent. Because our child had a bad moment. I'm not saying you're a good parent. I'm just saying, like, if you put your hope in you being a good, having a good family is a thing that makes you good. Listen, at some point, your two-year-old is going to have a meltdown. Or your 19-year-old is going to do whatever they want. And then there's this awful fear. What happens if people at church hear what so-and-so is doing? And then now your whole world—you got to hide it from everyone. Don't let them know. Don't tell people at church that this is happening in your life. I don't want them to know it because all of my image of being good is based on having a good family, and it will steal. It will steal your joy because it can't deliver, because you actually can't accomplish it on your own. Or what happens if it's your work ethic? You performing at work is a thing that makes you a good person, and then you drop a ball. Like, that, you know that moment where you got to face your boss and you're like, man, I just, I, I just forgot to do it. And what happens? All, all of it comes running or what happens when you actually aren't able to do the work? Not just you drop a ball. You actually just can't do it. And now the thing that makes you good, your work ethic... You don't you can't achieve it anymore. The job is too much. The work is too much. And you just, you physically or mentally, you're not able to actually accomplish the work, and then you get broken. And your ability to rejoice is gone. Because you can't do it. There, there will be a limit to what you can do in work. You will forget something. You will mess something up. You will not be able to deliver all the time perfectly correctly and it will crush you. Or maybe your thing is um, wisdom and and insight. Remember we talked about being smarter than people on Facebook is not that impressive, but what happens when someone on Facebook actually works you over? Where all of a sudden, maybe that never happens to you, uh, uh, but you read something on Facebook and it's against your stance that you've put and all of a sudden you realize, oh no, I'm wrong. Like there's actually someone smarter out there on the internet than me, <laughs> right? Well, what happens in that moment? Delete the comment. Find an article that supports my view even though I kind of feel like it's wrong and post it. Or, or unfriend them. I can't be around people that disagree with me that are smarter than me. Right? There's all these things that you, you make it go away. Or maybe it's you're involved in good causes. But what happens when your cause doesn't get fixed? Like all your work actually doesn't fix it. What happens when you find out that all your work for that good cause is actually causing more harm? That stuff, that's a whole other missions conversation I can get into. Or I know how to be gracious. That's your badge of honor. But then all of a sudden someone is living in blatant sin right in front of you. And you don't know how to be gracious and say, that's wrong, you need to stop. You can't obey the command to confront sin and be gracious in your mind anymore. You don't measure up or you know how to have fun, but what happens when suffering hits and fun doesn't cut it or you have to work a second job to make ends meet and your margin for fun goes away. What happens when coronavirus hits and now all of a sudden your job gets shaky so you gotta get other jobs and now fun seems bye-bye, right? You can only have so much fun locked in your house. It takes one little pandemic and now you're not the fun guy anymore. Right? Like, listen, if you put your confidence in being good on anything, and there's probably a million other things, it will always let you down. And the gospel says that only Jesus can make us happy. Uh, Only Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because here's the gospel. You are deeply broken. Listen, I am deeply broken at the core of who I am, and I will always even miss my own standard of goodness. God knew that. I don't hit my standard. I definitely don't hit his standard. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. And Here's what he did. He took all of my brokenness and all of my sin, and he paid the debt for all of it, and he totally cleans me. And then he doesn't just make me at a zero. He gives me all the goodness of Jesus. So now I don't just get to take the test over again. I get a 100A plus on the test that I failed. And then he says this, I've got you. I'm going to give you the power to do it all. And for your mistakes, I've already got you. I've already paid the price for it. And I'm going to keep changing you and working on you. I've got this. I've handled it. You don't have to live up to that standard anymore. I am the standard. I met it for you. And now you've got this thing, this joy, this ability to be good in the eyes of Jesus that can never be taken away. Even when you mess up. Even when you actually perform, you've got this joy that when there's a coronavirus hitting and everything feels shaky, you're able to say, Jesus, I know you got this. And I can rejoice even in the morning. When when I see awful things happening on TV with injustice, the thing that can happen for me is I can feel grieved and broken over it, but I can run back to Jesus and say, listen, you've got this. You've got this, Jesus. Like, I can trust you. And even if, even if I don't think right on this or if I don't know the next step, you do. And I can trust you and you can give me joy that I'm clean and I'm forgiven and I'm a son or a daughter, even when everything around me crumbles, even when the things I love crumble. Even when the things that I'm used to having confidence in, it starts to look tarnished because it's not as pretty anymore. Listen, the gospel frees me up to look at my brokenness. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to hide it from anyone else. I don't have to control my kids. I get to raise my kids and say, listen, Jesus has got this. and I got to be a good parent, but he's got to help me because there's no pattern for every kid that always works except for Jesus. Come on, that's, that's what we need, right? We need more Jesus not more control, not more goodness that we muster up because you don't have the energy, the goodness that he empowers, that he gives. But, but it does something else. Look at what Paul says here. Look at verse 7. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just ask us the question, what's my confidence in? It actually flips our confidence completely upside down. Look at verse 7. He says this, But whatever gain I had, Whatever gain I got from it, I made profit from being good. I, I could look at my goodness and say, listen, I'm good. It gives me confidence. I, it makes me superior to you. Like all the gain that I had from being good and all my performance, I now count it all as loss. I, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. i tell you what he's saying. He said, listen, I'm looking at all this goodness and it used to feel like gain to me. It gave me confidence. It gave me superiority. It, it gave me a peace. But now that I know Jesus, that's not profit anymore. That's actually a loss. Let me say it this way because you need to feel the rub of this. Here, here's how he would say it. She says, listen, I was born into a Christian home. That's how we would say, it. I was born into a Christian home. I was dedicated to church as a baby. I went, I was at church every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, even Tuesday night visitation. I finished all my Iwana books. I was the perfect Sunday school kid. I was the perfect youth group kid. I went to Christian school and Christian college. And I went to church. I'm a member of a church. What type of church? Baptist with a capital B, capital A, capital P, capital T. I'm not going to finish the rest of this. I'm a capital Baptist. And how committed was I? I did every mission trip, every church event, I even started planning these events and trips. I, I served in children's ministry and youth group and worship team and welcome team. I was a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, five kabillion other things. Everyone thought I was blameless. I was the perfect Baptist. But all that doesn't benefit me now. I actually consider all of it a hurdle to knowing Jesus because I was putting confidence in those to make me good. That one kind of rub you a little bit? Well, now it's not he's a Hebrew of the Hebrew, he's a Baptist of Baptists. And he's saying, I did Sunday school, I did Awana, I did it all, but now I consider it a loss because I was putting confidence in those to make me good. Here's what Paul is not saying. He's not saying all those things are bad. He's saying putting confidence in those things is bad. Listen, if there's a a ruler that you've created that says Baptist, Sunday school, Christian school, Christian college, whatever you wanna put on the rule and you stand up next to it and say, good. I want you to understand that's not just bad, that's anti-Christian. That instead of a ruler, there's a cross. And it says this, I'm broken. Not good. But he isn't. Good. And I get that. Good. And he changes me. Good. And I don't do anything but trust in him. Good. 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 He loves me. He made me in the image of him. And he loves me as a son or daughter, regardless of my performance because of the cross. Not my ruler. Which one of those makes you happier? This life will beat you up and tear you down. Your weakness will break you and you will not be able to rejoice. This life will beat you down. Your brokenness, will come, you will come to an end of your ability, but not of his. And you'll be able to rejoice no matter what's happening around you. That's what Paul is saying in this, that the gospel alone enables us to rejoice. He even has this crazy illustration. That word he uses, rubbish. I got to share this with you. He, he doesn't just say it's a loss. He says it's rubbish. That Greek word is skubala. Uh, some people would say trash. It's a wrong translation. I don't know how to say this nicely. It's poop. <laughs> it's actually crasser than that. It says it's crap. Maybe worse. It's shocking what Paul, I mean, it's shocking in the Greek, you guys. He doesn't just say, "Hey, that was a waste of time." He says, "All of that religious effort, all of that thing to make myself feel good—it's crap compared to knowing Jesus." I want to give you an illustration of what this looks like. I'm gonna, this is risky here. I'm gonna ask my two-year-old to try to come down here. This is Xander. while, while that little crazy munchkin who knows whatever he's going to do as he comes down here, um, this would be an example of not putting confidence in a good family because I don't know if he's going to grab the mic or what he's going to do. But, but listen, here's what I understand. Here's what that means for Paul. Me to tell you what it means to all of a sudden experience something like the goodness of Jesus and it makes everything else feel like Scuba. Come here, buddy. Hey, do you want to say hi to everyone? No? Okay. Oh, I love you, too. You're good. Okay. Listen, this is Xander, and Xander is two, and he's cute. Are you cute? Okay, just hug me right here. Okay, now listen. How do you think this guy sleeps? Do you sleep good, buddy? Do you sleep good? you take good naps? Yeah. No. No. See, you think he's innocent. He's not. You, you, like, you like going night-night at naps? No. That's a good boy. Okay, he doesn't like naps. He doesn't like sleeping at night. Uh. Like the dream of full nights of sleep with this one, gone. I used to consider full nights of sleep a win, right? Like eight hours of sleep was like this glorious thing that I didn't, not get eight hours of sleep. What world do you live? Why would I ever volunteer for that? Eight hours of sleep is gain. Do you know how much diapers cost? You got a diaper on, buddy? Yeah. Diapers cost a lot, right? A lot. Right? You, you lose money when you have these little guys. You lose money, you lose sleep, I lose freedom. Right, do you know what it's like to travel out of the house? For those of you parents, Oh, if you don't have kids, I remember I could walk out of the house with my phone and my keys in my wallet. Got to go, let's go. Boom. Gone. No, 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 no. This little guy, we've got a, we've got a, a bag that I would pack for a weekend before I had kids. We got diapers. Lots of diapers, lots of wipes, changes of clothes. Snacks, are there snacks? Yeah, there's snacks, yeah. All right, you can go back because now, but let me ask this before I send it back. When he came into my life, it was a win. Diaper bags carrying him out of the house, spending money on diapers, right? Like the inconvenience of a kid losing their mind in the store. The cuteness is great, I love him. He's awesome, all that awesomeness, the, the, having the snacks all the time, the sleepless nights. I now consider those gained for the greatness of having this boy in my life. If I had to choose between having full nights of sleep and more money in my bank account and freedom or him, what do you think I'd choose? You think it's hard? think it's a hard choice maybe the sleep I don't know (laughs) just kidding it's not a hard choice okay you want to go back to to G dad okay thanks buddy y'all want to give him a hand way to go Xander I don't I hope that didn't embarrass him I can't tell what's going on that little two-year-old mind listen everyone when Paul says I count it all as the things I counted as loss are now like it's gain because I get to know Jesus Look, I want you to understand, what Paul is saying is my entire life got flipped upside down because of the goodness and joy of being in Christ. Listen, if you ever had a kid, you know exactly what that means. So church, if you depend on anything else to give you joy, it will not deliver. Only Jesus makes you rejoice. Only he makes you good. No performance, no effort, Nothing. Him and Him alone. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to give you a moment just to ask God what He would have said to you today. And the first thing I'll say to you is this. I want to give you basically two options here. If you've been trusting in anything else to make you good, right there in your seat, would you just repent? Repent. If there's anything that he pointed out to you, that the Spirit did a work in your heart where you said, I, I think I've been trusting in blank, would you repent? Listen, if for some of you, you've never actually placed your trust in Jesus, I hope that you hear that the gospel is, a, you don't have to work to perform it. You just repent and place your trust in Jesus and he will make you his son or daughter. If you haven't done that, I'd encourage you to stay after the service, and one of us would love to speak to you about your walk with God. But for some of you, the thing that didn't happen is God did not point out something that you've been trusting in. He just reminded you you've been trusting in him. I want you to listen to me. If, If that's you today, you have reason to celebrate. You have Jesus. You get Jesus. You have all of his righteousness and forgiveness, and you get to rest in that so if he didn't call you to repent of anything, I'm telling you he calls you to rejoice in him and worship right now. Would you just spend a moment in your seat praising him for that? Enjoy it and revel in that real, true grace. Heavenly Father, you, uh, you see us. You're patient with us. You're patient with me. God, I pray that you do a work in our heart that we would rejoice only in you. God, purge our hearts of trusting in anything else. And I pray that we would count it all loss because of the goodness of knowing you. And I pray that all in Jesus' name,